0: It's such a lifestyle benefit to work from wherever you are. Once you understand how to do it properly and manage your time, it's insanely beneficial. For me to want that myself and then not do that for the rest of my company would be weird and a bit hypocritical. You know, I want my employees to have the lifestyle I have, that I want them to enjoy their life. I don't have some weird misconception in my head that their life should just be working for me and that's it. You're listening to the Ecom Exits Podcast with your host, Nate Ginsberg. Learn the best tips and tactics to improve profits, cash flow, and maximize your e-commerce business value on the way to a successful exit. Welcome to the show.
1: All right, podcast listeners, welcome back. I'm joined today by my friend, Ryan Mayo, founder and CEO of CashJar. Ryan, coming in live from Manila, and here I am in Thailand, and uh, excited to get, yeah, dive deep into, uh, I know, a lot of our favorite subjects around hiring, team building. Ryan's got an awesome story, been involved with lots of great businesses, and glad to have him on the show. So, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Cool. Thanks for having me. So when we first met, which must now be six or something years ago, I, yeah. I remember that you had a white label WordPress agency. And uh, what I remember is I think you were speaking at, uh, at, at one of the events that we were at and had this strategy of uh, sending hot sauce to prospective yeah. clients or or something like that. Like, What was that? And what was that business?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So that business was exactly right. It was a white label, WordPress website development, and then support. So we catered to digital agencies that didn't really have developers on hand. So they would outsource to us to do the builds, also do the designs of the websites, the builds, and then support it. We would give them a flat fee price for the initial part and then a flat fee recurring price to host and do unlimited support. And they would just upsell that stuff. And we really just built a, a channel of agencies that ended up kind of being like salespeople for us and just built up our kitty of recurring revenue that way by hosting tons and tons of sites. And then the conference I spoke at for the hot sauce that was we tried so many methods man to sell and some worked some didn't and one of the ones that we had the most fun out with was the, the hot sauce where we created hot sauce put our logo on it and then made a little postcard flyer and then sent it out in these big red tubes to potential agencies that were uh, potentially a good fit for us send them to their door we let them arrive and then um, we had a follow up schedule of calling. So instead of us doing like cold calls to get a hold of these agencies, we found that way more effective because it was kind of a weird thing that they received. And then when we called up and we're like, hey, I sent you the hot sauce, they'd be like, oh, yeah, no one's ever sent that to me before. We would just qualify that they'd be okay giving us. Couple minutes of their time, and usually that they'd always be willing to do that, and just kind of hop into what we did, and we actually picked up quite a few long-term resellers for us through that method.
1: Nice. Well, yeah. So, share a little bit more, if you can, kind of about that business, and I know I'd like how big did it did it grow to, and the team, and and if I remember right, I mean it's quite a large operation.
0: Yeah, we ended up getting um, fairly large operational size. We never we never blew it out of the roof. Income wise, we we had pretty good recurring revenue, paid everyone well, paid the bills, paid ourselves well, but nothing crazy. It was actually a a bit of a challenging business to grow, in my opinion. I think we weren't as successful at that, even though we were able to sell it off for a decent price. What we were more successful at was building an operational piece behind it, which was, you know, building thousands and thousands of websites, supporting thousands and thousands of websites, and doing a good job at it. And we had tried a lot of different ways, but we ended up landing in the Philippines and started building teams here and, and have done that for all coming up on 12 years now. So we were probably more skilled at operational stuff than marketing stuff, in my opinion, uh, even though we had a couple of sales tactics that worked well for us, just not super consistent. So we put a, I put a ton of time into building teams that worked well that worked kind of like supply chains for that particular business but also learned a lot and got really good at hiring in different cultures particularly the philippines and getting the most out of it without spending a fortune particularly for developers which can can happen pretty quickly
1: sure and so so with that business so how big was the team with that business
0: at one point we got up to about 50 full-time people. I felt like that was a lot. It was, I, I don't know about you, but I, I I used to have, I think when I, I was earlier in business, I, I always had this weird mentality that the bigger the team got, like the more successful I was at business. I, I think that's unequivocally not true on a regular basis, but I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It just kind of feels like a success metric or And then at some point I was like, no, this sucks. I don't, I don't like to have this many people. So we got up to pretty big and learned how to deal with it pretty well. But ultimately I was, I was happy to bring it back down to a more manageable level. I think we've got about 17 now, which is for me more manageable.
1: Yeah, totally. You mentioned or kind of alluded at, you know, selling that business, but you're clearly still in the Philippines with the team. So what happened from that? And how did that get into what you're doing now? Yeah,
0: we had that business and we sold it off in March, uh, right when the COVID stuff started to happen, um, which was a bit of a strange experience someone wanting to, to throw out cash right at the beginning of a pandemic, but you know, people have money. So there's always buyers somewhere, but during, probably during the last few years of that business, we sold, we had already started another company in the fintech software industry, selling a software that helps businesses take online payments. We teamed up with a really large credit card processor in the U S and now their sales team white labels and sells our product to their merchants. And that business started doing so well. So we then we had two businesses doing pretty well, and they both make recurring revenue. But the other one was such an effort to grow from a marketing standpoint that I was just kind of mentally done with it and was like, you know what, let's just let's sell this. This one's growing really, really fast. So let's cash out now and move on to the next one that's really making fast progress. So that's where we're at today. We're about four years in, just running a single piece of software to thousands of merchants of this credit card processing company. and And that continues to grow pretty rapidly every month.
1: Cool, glad to hear that. Sounds like a good journey and from a good business to a better one, which is- yes which is great. Yes. And so you're you're in the Philippines and kind of, you know, tell me about that and like why are you there and what's the team like there and you know, and this is more for, for listeners. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the Philippines as well and have a bunch of team there, but but yeah, I want to hear from from you like, you know, I mean, because it's fairly recent that you moved to Manila. I mean, you were operating your business and your team from the US and then now in Manila. So yeah. so yeah, kind of t- tell me about that.
0: Yeah, so I mean, we've had so we've we've had some sort of team here for about 12 years total. But when we sold the the other business this year, that team moved to the new ownership. And as we were building the new products, we had to hire a whole different team because it was a whole different type of code. You know, we actually needed much, much more talented people that got paid higher, senior level developers, and so on. So that was actually a really good experience as well. Um, I was hiring a little bit out of the scope of my own development skills into a to a language that I didn't really know very well. So about a year ago, we went through a process of hiring. I think we hired 10 full-time people within a month, put them in an office, and started working on some of our, our project stuff. But this time was different. The initial business when we started hiring here, I really was kind of following a lot of the methods of hiring a little bit lower cost talent here, a lot of freelancers, stuff like that. And I mean, there is some relative aspect that you do get what you pay for, not just here, but anywhere. So there was a lot more handholding with those types of employees. But when I Really started stumbling on to hiring senior level people, poaching them from big companies that are all, all set up like U.S. companies that are set up here. I got a different talent level than I've ever experienced before, which was a little bit eye opening for me, even though I've been here for a while. The eye opening thing was that you can get incredibly talented top level people. In this country, at very, very good rates. Now, this has been a game changer for us because we have a very big, complicated software with lots of features. It also has to have it has to have a ton of security stuff like that. If I tried to hire and do this in the U.S. or the West in general with with developers, my run rate would be so incredibly high. But because I did it and how I did it here, uh, we became profitable. Uh, within months, very very quickly.
1: Cool. And so, like, what changed when you said that? You know, working now with getting these higher level people that you said has been very eye opening versus even your experience before, which was still hiring in the Philippines. So, like, how did you make that jump, or like, what what happened that allowed you to kind of break into this other tier of candidates that now you're you're hiring from?
0: Well, it's definitely definitely a pay tier up. I mean, you're probably paying double, triple the price. So it seems more expensive but relatively it's still I mean it's still about 70% less expensive than what you would pay for the same quality in the
1: US. And what um, kind of like I mean you know ballpark numbers are we talking of like what yeah, yeah. you or would people expect to pay?
0: Yeah so t- pretty typical like a WordPress developer which I had before you're going to find like good, okay, WordPress developers for like 500 to $1,500 a month. Now, our whole new development teams, ASP.NET, is all.NET. So I only wanted senior level, top level people. So our range now is $1,500 to $3,000 US dollars a month
1: per employee. So, but those are for. Top level.
0: That is top level. I mean, that pay here for anyone is very, very high. I mean, that's that is a that's a pretty nice lifestyle in the Philippines. It's, you know, the average person here probably gets paid three to five hundred dollars a month, right? So it's a good salary and it's a lot of expectations from them as well. But you do have a high talent pool. So number one is the price. That that was a change, is getting myself out of paying too too low and, and kind of moving into a different level of budget and price range. Number two was something I had to figure out is those types of developers, particularly in the U.S. or particularly in the Philippines, already have jobs. They're not just sitting around looking for jobs. They're amazing employees and amazing developers and amazing team members. So they've, they're already at the company. So really the thing that I had to figure out was how do I go find these people that already have jobs and convince them to come to a better job.
1: Would love for you to share more about that because that's something that I I mean I've hired a ton over the years and generally have good success with it but that's something that I haven't personally I don't know I, I don't really have any experience with and 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 yeah would uh love yeah, to Yeah I more. think
0: I mean the really the secret sauce to that is you have to connect with some sort of recruiter or someone on the ground in that country. So it doesn't matter if you hire it's and this is the same anywhere you go, right? But particularly true in the Philippines is if you want good people, this is I mean even though this is a giant city with millions and millions of people, it's really a who you know type network and everyone knows everyone within within circles. So what I ended up doing was I ended up hiring someone that was a recruiter. She wasn't anymore, but she was and kind of pulled her back into her recruiter role. So she just worked for me only, recruiting. And she started working her networks of anyone from Accenture to you name it, all these big companies that had developers, and just started reaching out to these existing developers that she had networked with and, and recruited and all that stuff. So once I opened that door up, it started opening up, you know, tons of tons of opportunities of now. I had too many people looking for remote jobs for a U.S. company with good pay, you know, all of that good reputation here, all that stuff. And it actually made it very, very easy to find top level people.
1: Cool. And so when you're using a recruiter like that and getting, you know, getting people that are currently employed, like what sort of a timeline does that take or look like and from, all right, like we need to hire... X person or X role to, all right, they're actually, you know, starting to work for you.
0: I would say for me, it's always taken about on average a month and that's finding people, that's interviewing people. And then that's giving them time. Cause, cause what you'll find with, with these level recruits and employees is they, they really are top level in the sense that yes, they're working somewhere else and they might take a job with you. But they're they're not gonna screw over their current employer. So every single one I've ever had was like, Oh, well, I'm not I'm not leaving until I give them my proper two weeks. I'll do the same with you if that ever happens. You know, and that's that's actually I love that kind of a above board mentality. They're not willing to screw anyone over, I and mean, it's actually a really good sign for us. So I would say, on average, for us, about four weeks. I'll give you an example. Recently, we needed two mobile developers pretty rapidly, and we found and started them in. In two weeks, and they are incredible. They're top notch. They they've literally changed our working environment as far as the mobile front goes. And those guys were working for someone else, but fortunately, they were both working part time for the other company. We're like, well, we'll all work part time for you and part time for them, and and move on. So we're out of that two weeks. They're full time, but that's usually about the general time frame for us, and that includes a couple things that we do, Nate, which is. When we're hiring, we always do, the first thing we do is a cultural interview. You know, we're 100% remote. We're very, very autonomous as far as how people work. So we need to know that they can work under that environment effectively. So the first interview they go through is with our team. One of our team leaders is completely cultural. We don't do any tech stuff, no questions. It's just straight up. You know, are you a good fit for our working environment? Mm -hmm.
1: This is actually a a good segue. I mean, the next question I was going to ask is about, you know, what the process looks like. And so maybe just kind of start from so, okay, so you have a recruiter who, you know, you say, okay, you need people with XYZ qualifications. The recruiter goes, identifies them. And then the the first thing you're saying is you take them in for a cultural interview. Is that?
0: Yep. So part of what I've done with, with the, the girl that works for me full-time as a recruiter, and she does other things for us because we're not recruiting all the time, is she understands our culture very, very well because she's been with me for a while. So first thing she does, gets on a call, sees what their personality is like, talks to them how we function and operate. And that's everything, again, from being, you know, that we give a lot of autonomy, that we are completely remote, that our hours can vary, things like that. So she filters out that list of recruits first of these people are going to be good for us. These people are absolutely not. Once they get past that stage, we personally do a development test. So we give them a test as a group. Not in person, but we send out a digital test that they take that's relative to our language that we use and let them take it. Now, one thing that we do that I think might be a little unique is we change we make the test very the the developer test very, very hard where it's almost impossible to pass. So even if they are really, really, really good. It can be a very, very frustrating test to pass because at most, most of like our best guys usually get like 30% passing on it. Like, mm-hmm. like super hard. Now I really like doing this. I don't know if this is effective anywhere else, but for me in the Philippines, this is really, really effective because what it does for us here is it helps me filter out the people that are going to quit when it gets hard. It does show me their skill set if they're good, but really what I want to mm-hmm. see because we're very open to more training and and helping them along the way. What I really want to see through that is when they get stuck is how do they react? 50% of that recruit base will literally email us and say, I couldn't do it. I gave up. So I'm not going to finish it, which is amazing because I just filtered out everyone that quits. So the rest of them, we don't take the score too seriously, but we will review it. Once we get through that, Then we'll do kind of a technical skills question with our team, our our development team leadership. So they get on a call with three of my lead developers and those developers will just hammer questions at them from all different directions. If they get through that, then they're pretty solid. They're they're pretty good. I mean, Uh, it's a pretty, it's pretty hard to get through, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I like that, how, you know, really just like challenging them with this test project and like, you know, and having it in a way where they're not even supposed to pass it, but it's, you know, more of a character test than like a aptitude test. And also, it is part of that. I mean, since you're recruiting from, you know, people that are currently employed, are you able to, you know, pretty much like a certain role at a certain company tells you that they're, A baseline qualified for something. I mean, and so it's like you're you know that the they're screened already because they're currently employed at a certain company with a certain role, and like that tells you a lot about them.
0: Yes, I mean it's it's oh you're right. It's a baseline for us because I mean these are big companies they work for. They're they're giant corporate companies that are outsourced here, so they they go through probably a difficult path to get that job as well. It Mm -hmm. does set a good baseline for us.
1: Yeah. And so how do you convince them to go from wherever their current corporate job to, to join you?
0: Well, I mean, the easiest way here is rem- being remote. That's number one. So that was that was before this pandemic and particularly during the pandemic. And it's going to continue because one thing that's really true about the Philippines is companies don't like people working remote here. At all, Hmm. in general, especially the big companies. So once things calm down and offices open back up and it's already starting to happen, is they're going to ask these people to come back into the office again? Now, that's that's pretty problematic for a lot of top-level people here because a lot of them don't live in like central Metro Manila or central Cebu. They usually have to travel in like two, you know, one, two, three hours a day because they live on the outskirts of the city because the city internally is very, very expensive. So it, you know, it's, I mean, adding on average two to four hours of your day of just travel. And then most of these guys have, most of these guys have families, kids, kids, all that stuff, it's, it really becomes a very difficult lifestyle for them because it is a very family oriented culture here. So number one is just saying, listen, you can work from home. We'll pay your internet. Well, we'll make sure you're set up. That right there is a game changer for a lot of yeah, these guys. Yeah,
1: yeah. Is the, the salary compensation, whatever you're offering, like the same more or less? I mean,
0: it's on our salaries probably on average more. So that's also a benefit for us. Maybe not by a lot, but it's it is more. But, I mean, but they're saving money on transportation. Oh, it starts. Say, we're we're I mean, paying we're paying for their internet now. I mean, yeah, but, all but, of that stuff.
1: But even I mean, like you just said, the the opportunity to work remote. I mean, there was someone from from my team that he started working for us. It was, I mean, make a, a a few months ago now, and he's like like excellent. You know, he's kind of was a team lead now, you know, his previous job was a team lead now working with us, he's become a team lead. And pretty quickly, like, you know, it was like a month or so into him working with us, he, he said that he was actually, you know, uh, like targeted by some recruiter to get him to work for another business. And, you know, and the, the salary they were offering him was a little bit more than we were paying. And, you know, like he's a, I mean, great person on the team, you know, definitely wanted to keep him. And so, you know, like, yeah, like talk to him about, you know, weighing his options and, you know, how we, you know, what was important to him. And, and, you know, he ended up, you know, ultimately stayed with us, matched the salary and, and, you know, and, and yeah, and he's, he's still with us and is great. And one of the things that he, he was saying is that, you know, the other, the other company was not, offering work from home or it was like during COVID, but after it, he like explicitly said like that was kind of a reason and great. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to have a remote team, you know, work from home. And, and, and so I understand that that is, it's a really real, I
0: mean, it's a real thing. It's a big deal. And we know you and I already know it's such a lifestyle benefit to work from wherever you are. Once you understand how to do it properly and manage your time, it's insanely beneficial. So for me to want that myself and then not, you know, not do that for the rest of my company would be weird and a bit hypocritical. So, you know, I want my employees to have the lifestyle I have to an extent, to the extent that I want them to enjoy their life. I don't have some weird misconception in my head that their life should just be working for me. And that's it. I mean, I want, I want them to enjoy what they do, and then benefit greatly outside of it with their families, their friends, you know, all of that stuff. And I think that kind of leads into the one thing that we promote as well, Nate, is so we've got pay, we've got, rem- you know, remote work. But one thing we we really, really try to push very heavily is the culture of the environment that they're working for. A lot of these guys have very, very bad experiences working for Westerners because they tend to get treated as less because they're kind of outsourced. It just kind of comes with a weird mentality. They don't have someone that tries to understand their culture, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, we put a lot of effort into that. We we put a lot of effort and we're very verbal and open that we see them as equals because we also have a U.S. team. We also have Americans that work for us, and we make it very, very clear that there is no relative difference. You know, Everyone gets treated the same. Everyone gets treated well. Um, everyone gets treated with empathy and compassion and kindness on a regular basis. And that doesn't mean that we aren't hard on them as far as being good at what they do, but we we also understand how to encourage them properly here. It's honestly not too different than my U.S. team, I don't think, and at all is we make sure that we help them grow, but also enjoy that growth and enjoy working and learning and, and so forth. Yeah. So w- we've spent a lot of time doing that.
1: Yeah. Well, that's actually a l- good lead into uh, the other, or another topic I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on is building and maintaining a strong company culture it comes up a lot. And I mean, it's, it's, it's important. And I mean, I have, you know, been a part of businesses and you can, you can really feel the effects good or otherwise of a strong culture. And like, and so yeah, like what kind of stuff do you do for culture?
0: Really, really important, man. I think the first thing that I do before anything else, and this this is something I had to learn about myself, is figuring out what is enjoyable for me. Like what's enjoyable for me to run a company? Like how do I want to work? Because Once I figured that out and then I hired people that match that type of mentality, that makes my company culture start revolving around what, you know, a team of people that are like minded function. So example of this would be like, I truly, truly enjoy autonomy. I like it for myself. Like I don't like having my shoulder. I don't like to be watched all the time. I don't like to be checked in on all the time. Like I like to just get stuff done and then present what I do, and I like to figure stuff out on my own. So what I found is I also don't like to be somebody that checks in on people all the time, look over their shoulder, and some people do. And I don't honestly, in the right spot with the right people, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's why I think you need to know up front how you want to run a company and how it's gonna how the culture is gonna resolve revolve around that.
1: That's something like. Do you have like? establish core values that you kind of articulate and in this, or is this something it kind of comes more organically? We,
0: I've never been really good at like writing out all these core. I
1: think I probably
0: need to be better at it. Honestly, it's probably one of my failures is I don't kind of present that stuff physically, like what our core values are. But what I do do a lot of is when we do hire people is the last stage of our interview process is with me. Typically at the third interview, which is me, they probably are going to get hired unless they say or do something super crazy on my call, which is un- really has never happened. But honestly, that call is not so much for them to impress me. It's more for me to impress them. That's my opportunity to, because I don't involve myself with the first couple calls at all. As far as they know, there's a foreign guy that owns the company not involved in the beginning of those first stages. That third call is when I get on though. And that call is for me to discuss with them my expectations of them, but also what their expectations of us should be and how we treat them, how we respect them and how we treat our team. And then I have some of my other leadership on the phone to also verify that that's how we run things, and that they will be treated with respect, with empathy. So you know all of these things. So we we do that to start and try to set the tone that they're walking into a very very good open situation that they can be comfortable in. But then we reiterate it all the time. Is you know I make a very strong effort to hop in, pull some people aside, tell them how good they're doing kind of sing their praises to the rest of the team. You know, we do that with everybody as much as we can without making it, without it being phony because we only do it really when it's it's well-deserved. So we do that to kind of set the tone as culture. Honestly, I've just always been, again, I'm not against writing down values and stuff like that, but I've also been with companies that write values down and they never actually follow through with them.
1: More like lead by example with these values as a, versus just having like them written on a wall somewhere.
0: Right. You know, there is a way to do that. There is a way to be a leader and present values and live those values. And it's an infectious one that gets into the rest of everybody else. And they end up treating each other like that.
1: Yeah, that's something also that I think like, you know, over the years, things that we've kind of seen eye to eye or just kind of gotten along is I think we both are have that like strong empathy piece just to us naturally. And, you know, that really comes out with like how we run our businesses and, you know, some of these things like like I've become more aware over the years of some things that you know, I, I just kind of do naturally checking in with people, encouraging good communication, you know, shouting out people's praises, just like, just like, you know, listening yeah. and understanding yeah. and, and some of the stuff that you, you know, we're just saying, I think like I also, you know, kind of naturally do because we, we have that, I don't know, maybe that like, I think that like empathy piece, which is yeah. important, like get you get people to, you know, buy in and stay with you. And, and yeah, you know, sure. I've had people consistently that will like, you know, they'll turn down other opportunities, be happier with a lower pay, or they're just like understanding because, you know, they know that at the top, like they're genuinely cared for, which is also, it's true.
0: I agree. Yeah. And I find, uh, I mean, one thing we, I, I try to do as well is sometimes me or the team, we, we make mistakes, right? Like things happen and we're like, oh man, that's, that's a bad mistake, but we handle it. We get over it. And one thing I've always tried to do is bring up past mistakes but as a group in a fun way like i try to make fun i try to get it across and i think it works um, for the most part is like okay we made a mistake that's we fixed it we got over it look where we're at we're still growing let's try not to do that again but i'm going to make fun of you for that mistake just just to give people a sense of you know it is okay to mess up it yeah, is okay right. to make a mistake but you know be aware like be aware right. of what you're doing let's try not to make them but if you do Let's get over it. Let's right. get done. Uh-huh. And then we can poke fun at each other for doing stupid things, you know, that we did. And I don't know if that would work everywhere again. It's uh for me in Filipino cultural, it works really, really well because Filipinos like to poke fun at each other for all sorts. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to like a Filipino party, like if you show up and you've got some extra weight on you, I guarantee somebody's okay. gonna poke your stomach and you're not gonna get that in America usually, right? <laughs> so sure. here you have that flexibility and you just anywhere you hire, I think though it's important to, you know, what works, where do you drive these things to make them feel comfortable and at home so they do enjoy their work environment.
1: Yeah. Because so that can be
0: hard for them with with Westerners sometimes.
1: So other uh question or kind of topic that um wanted to, yeah, kind of hear your thoughts on you and I both. And if I remember from, you know, your, your past businesses, you've always been like very intentional about the role that you're playing and, you know, doing the things that you as the owner, as the leader should be doing and, you know, getting the right team around you to handle the other things. And so what does your personal role look like with, with this business? And, you know, how do you see, see your role? Yeah. So now, now the role where
0: I'm at, is so I don't really touch any code anything I do I do help guide us in the direction that we're going so and what's a little different for me now, Nate is before running a service company, you know we were constantly moving in different directions because every project was something new right because it was like a new website they needed different things. Software has been a, a really good fit for how I like to operate because we're just building one thing and we're selling one thing. And then people fit into doing, you know, using that one thing. So, what that's allowed me to do is move in the direction of letting my brilliant team, you know, plan, code, release, communicate what we have. It's amazing software. And then let me focus on our relationships with our partners, our relationship with training our partner sales teams, the relationship with, focusing on what should our onboarding flow look like, what should our customer success look like, and really start focusing on things that are really focused around growth instead of being in the weeds all day. And I think I was in the weeds a lot in the past. And as I've learned to pull myself out of that more and more, and I've done it better over time, is I've seen business grow substantially faster because I'm not a great developer. I'm not a great designer. There's a lot of things I'm really not good at. I'm really good at hiring people. You know, I would, if, if someone asked what I'm good at, it'd probably be, I mean, always the first answer for me is hiring people. I've just spent a lot of time and effort learning how to hire and operate and manage people. And it's not even training them at their skill sets. It's just, you know, managing how the organization runs from a culture perspective to a growth perspective and so on. So I think recently is what's been effective for me. What's been effective for our company is putting myself into roles that I'm specifically good at, passionate about, and doing so I'm, I'm seeing much higher growth growth rates and patterns because, I mean, I can see it very, very quickly.
1: Amazing. And I think, you know, it's all of our best opportunities, you, me, the team as well, to you know do as much of the things that we're good at and we enjoy and are energizing and the least amount of the other stuff that's going to be yeah. less exciting and draining and it's good for output. <laughs>
0: I don't know about you but one thing that I've always and this has happened to me a couple times is it's always it's always been weird. Is when you get good at doing that, when you get good at hiring people and finding people that do work for you and do it really well, it frees up so much of your personal time that you almost have like these miniature freakouts. Like, what's going on? Why do I have so much time on my hands? Like, things must not be going well. Because you know, especially at the beginning of whatever, like if you're just starting your business off or. You know, you're used to just being in the weeds all the time. You don't, you don't know what to do. Like your experience before when you didn't have a lot to do when you're in the weeds, it's probably because business isn't going well, right? Like there's, yeah. you don't have enough customers. There's not enough to do. But once you get really good at hiring and then you start feeling that you have to like realign, like, like check in and be like, oh no, actually things are going incredibly well. I just have people doing it for me. I always have that weird, weird realignment moment, and like, have to like check myself of like, no, it's like you're doing the, it's working. That's what it's supposed to be like.
1: Yeah, totally agree with you, and I've gone through similar things, and and yeah, I think like you, you know, maybe my best personal skill is also hiring, and that's been the way that I solve problems in any business in general. It's it's always hiring, and you know that has enabled the businesses to grow in a way. That, you know, I'm not as in the weeds, because, you know, I'm comfortable and confident getting great people to handle the things that I probably shouldn't be doing anyway. And so I'm curious, like, I mean, you mentioned some of the things of what you are involved with, but like, what does your sort of day look like? Or are you are you involved with like managing the team? Or do you do you have other people managing the team? so i have
0: I have a leadership team that really manages our developments we run all of our meetings we've got daily daily meetings that we do with our team i do uh meet with my team about once or twice a week it just depends what kind of sprint development sprint we're in and and how crazy it is most of my day though because of time zone really starts off just personal so it's training, keeping myself healthy for the first part of the day. And then the the second half of the day is me focused on growth stuff in the business, training materials for sales, putting out new information on new features, feedback from customers. Anything that's really focused around the product advancing itself is where I'm spending most of my time now. And then I do interact. uh, I still do like to interact a little bit with customer support and onboarding. I have multiple people that do this for me, but I with a software product, I particularly like to pop my head in and be a little involved with that because it helps me keep an eye on and be aligned with what people are asking as far as features go, as what they, as far as their needs go and things like that. So for me, I just enjoy that. So that's why I do it. But most of my day in operation is spent focused on that type of growth stuff. And then just doing check-ins with different teams of like, where are we at? Give me an update. And then, and then that's it.
1: Cool. And you mentioned before your, uh, the previous business, the team got up to about 50 people. And now I think you said it's down to around 20 or a few less. And, uh, what's the biggest difference between running like a 50 person team and a, and a 20 or 15 person team?
0: Well, probably the biggest difference is there's less chaos. I I think there should always be some expectation with any team, whether you've got three people or 50, that there's always going to be some level of chaos going on, right? Like uncontrolled chaos. So people have families, people's kids get sick, people get sick, people get in accidents, you know, whatever it might be. There's always, the more people you have, the more of that stuff happens, So that can be a little more difficult to to plan around because you can't plan for it anyways. So smaller team, I find you have less of that. So it's a little more manageable and a little bit easier to deal with on that front. And then for me, at least with a smaller team is I like being able to give people more responsibilities and having specific people with specific response, like I don't like the responsibility spread out too thin um, across too many people, because then it gets hard to track down who's doing what very effectively, in my opinion. And, I, and there's plenty of ways to kind of control that. But at the same time, especially with like a software project development, I, I find it very difficult. So we've got our teams broken down pretty good now where we're at, where we can isolate people to specific Features and and things that we have on there, so we've got small teams around the features. So if one's out, that can switch over, and that that little team knows what's going on more than anyone else does. So, but end the day for me, Nate, it's it's always been how easy is it for me to control the uncontrollable chaos Mm -hmm. that comes with dealing with people.
1: Cool. Well, one thing I know you you mentioned would uh, love to. Yeah, if you can share more about, uh, I know that you've recently launched or also exploring uh, some services or some ways to kind of leverage this networking experience that you have hiring, I, I think specifically developers in the Philippines. And yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, what is that? And
0: Yeah, so we so we ended up starting a, um, a company called SaaS Remote we're not just geared towards but mostly geared towards software companies, SaaS companies looking for full-time top level developers, junior senior level. The reason we started it was I already had a recruiter, I've already got a network. We do it very very effectively for ourselves and I just talked to a lot of software owners and other people looking to hire developers that, you know, are looking for top level and, you know, having trouble getting into those circles because it is You know, at least here in the Philippines, it's kind of who do you know type of network. So for someone that's coming in with no connections, it can be very, very difficult to find these people. So I wanted to kind of expose that to some people and just offer that as a service. So now we've got sassremote.com and we've already started. We've already got people utilizing our service where we're placing people with really cool software companies, um, helping them place really amazing, talented developers. And how we're doing it's super simple. It's no placement, no payment. So it's complete guarantee that even if you try to, even even if you use us, if we don't place anyone with you, there's no risk for for that person. And then we also have a three month guarantee. If that person flakes, it's never happened. But if they did, we'll replace them uh, at no extra charge. So because the biggest thing is you know, just matching people up with really perfect team members that that will stay with them and add tons and tons of value. So just kind of uh something we started because we're already doing it and I wanted yeah. to, you know, give more stuff to do to my my recruitment team that we got rolling.
1: Cool. And so and so what does like, you know, an engagement look like like your fees yeah. or what fees they would expect to pay the talent that you're hiring and what kind of a timeline, you know, would people expect. Yes.
0: So we only look for junior, senior level talent, and that's going to be um, between a price range of fifteen hundred to three thousand U.S. dollars a month. Now, for comparative talent in the U.S., you'll pay between eight and twelve thousand dollars a month for. Pretty much the same talent level, in my opinion. That's been my experience. Um, On our website, they can actually just fill out a form. Our team will engage with them in a meeting of what they're looking for. Once that's done, we actually go out, search for individuals that qualify both technically and culturally. We'll do technical interviews on their behalf. We'll also do a cultural interview as well. The same that we do for my team. We're just recreating what we do and has worked for me so well. And then our fee is $5,000 for the service. It's completely flat fee, but we just wanted to make it a really easy decision. I mean, you'll, you'll save that if you're hiring anyone outside of somewhere like the Philippines, you save that money in one in one month, month potentially <laughs> literally the the discrepancy of pay is is so insane for the talent you get that it's just just absolutely crazy so but we're excited we're uh, we're already placing people and it's it's working well
1: yeah that's awesome and I mean as someone like i I have a lot of hiring experience in the Philippines, not so much on the developer side, but can just echo your experience of like paying much a fraction of US market rates and you know for for people in you know a variety of roles that like i i easily put up you know one to one with some random westerner or whatever like it's just yeah you get you get good people and and i think like i've also approached it similarly to you it's like you know if you pay a little bit more in the philippines wages that gets you so far and yeah you're still at a significant discount versus someone that you would be paying from a Western country. And, and yeah, I mean, that's been yeah. massive for, for my businesses. Yeah,
0: man, exactly. And if you're, if you're someone like, if you're like me in my position where we're rapidly growing a software that has a lot of moving pieces is what it's allowed me to do hiring here is I have more people that can do more things way faster. So we move significantly faster than the typical development team. I mean, I have friends that run softwares. They have a third of what I have as far as staff goes. But the same expenses, they move significantly slower. We run so much faster than other people, which, you know, is important today because it's, I mean, you don't necessarily have to be first to market, but you've got to move fast, especially especially in software.
1: If you are able to like get a foothold of a market or a position and, you know, and whatever it is you're doing, if you're not still moving fast, then other people are going to come up and catch you. And so you got to, yeah. yeah, keep. Yeah. Uh, and,
0: and I would say also when you're, when you're dealing with like, as you grow your customer base, you're going to deal with more bugs. It's just part of software. It's part of things. You're just going to deal with bugs. You're going to deal with problems. So for us is, so we have a customer that comes across a bug and sometimes they're simple, but sometimes they're complex You know, I don't have one person trying to figure it out. It's usually, it's, it's literally, I'll have a team of group of five or group of 10, whatever it might be that's working on that piece. So now we've got all these minds together that can be like, oh yeah, let's, I mean, you solve bugs and problems. And I mean, almost all of our bugs are solved within a day, within 12 hours of, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, boom, fixed out the door. That's rapid, that's rapid development.
1: An, an, another benefit of you know having the team in asia times where they find a bug in america and then you know that night oh, man. usa time yeah. you know the team's working there, and fixing it and then <laughs> there's nothing that
0: makes a us customer happy than waking up to everything being fixed yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah so huge 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 benefit
1: in my uh, opinion. Nice. Well, dude, Ryan, this has been uh, awesome chatting and, and thanks for coming yeah, on man. and, and sharing about all the cool stuff you're doing. And, and and yeah, again, so for any of the listeners that are interested in more information about any of your businesses or want to get in touch about any of the hiring stuff, yeah, if you can, again, share uh, the best way to get in contact.
0: Yeah. Uh, best way with the hiring stuff, uh, SAS Remote is sassremote.com. And then just my normal business is uh, cashjar.com is just our, our financial software, but probably would be more interested is the SaaS is remote forum where we might be able to help them if they're if they're looking to hire developers.
1: Cool. Well, yeah, we'll definitely uh, have links there and uh, would encourage anyone who's interested in exploring software. I think this is a really great opportunity to, uh, you know, skip a lot of the learning curve and, you know, make less expensive mistakes than, yeah, than yeah, if you were yeah, trying yeah. to figure it out yourself.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate the plug, man. I, I think for us, it's, you know, I've used other recruiting firms. And one thing that we we've told our current customers so, so far that, that are using us for the SaaS remote stuff is you're not hiring somebody that just goes out and find people. You're actually working with some people that are doing this for themselves. You know, so we, we know the experience we know going through that. We, cause we, we actively still do it for ourselves as well.
1: Yeah what is it you uh eat your own dog food so to speak
0: (laughs) (laughs) right right
1: exactly man well dude uh it's it's awesome and glad to hear it's all going well and uh yeah hope we can meet up somewhere sometime when when all this uh is hopefully soon man yeah thanks again
0: yeah man good chat always good talking with you man this has been the ecom exits podcast with nate ginsberg If you're enjoying the Ecom Exits podcast, show your support by subscribing, rating and reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help other smart entrepreneurs find us. We appreciate your support. We have a new episode every week on the Ecom Exits
1: podcast. So catch you next time.